As many of you know, I, it was two, three weeks ago that I came back from India. And uh, when I come back from India, my wife usually has some things prepared in her own mind uh, of what things might be like when I get back. And that largely includes uh, handling the smell. Uh, you, you don't realize this, but India is, is vastly different in, in almost every physical sense. Um, and when you go, it, it, it literally assaults your senses in a lot of ways. And when I come back from India, I, I bring the smells of my travels with me. And uh, I, I unpack my suitcases, and out of it comes this aroma that's very different uh, from our house. And, uh, and so she usually has a plan, prepares the kids. Okay, don't tell your daddy that he stinks. Uh, you know, they, she evidently is preparing them for what it might be like when, it, when I come back. Um, <laughs> I kind of had some clues about that this, this past time. Um, I think one of them said, Daddy didn't smell as bad as you said he would. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I was thinking, I'm not sure that's what she was wanting uh, the reception to be about. Um, but it, it, it's just, it's very different. And I can't just, I can't explain that to you other than just tell you, take my word, it is different in every way. And, uh, but I would also present to you that the cultural difference between India and what you and I know in, in this land of America is microscopic, microscopic, compared to the difference of cultural and God's way of doing things and the world's way of doing things. It is vastly different. And as we studied, have studied the Ten Commandments, we start to get a picture of how different it is to follow after God, to have a heart after God, uh, compared to what this world does compared to what our own heart does and that's part of what the ten commandments is about is to show you how different we are from god and uh, to bring us to an understanding that we are guilty before god and we need a savior and so uh, we've gone through the last few weeks and talked about specifics of the ten commandments and i want to uh, look at this time as a, a transition as we go to christmas to think about how does Jesus sum it up? When Jesus says, I, I want to give you a summary of the Ten Commandments, which was a big deal. I mean, if you think about it, if, if you're going to tell someone which is the most important commandment of all the ten, how would you categorize it? Which, I mean, if you're going to say, if you're going to leave out one of them, leave out this one. You know? And so the Jews of, the, of Jesus' day, they were all about studying the law and looking at every nuance, every detail. And so when you're looking at the nuances of the law, part of it is ranking them. How do we rank these commandments? And so we come to a passage in Matthew chapter 22, in which uh, really the goal was to try to trip up Jesus, try to make him look bad, and uh, to ask difficult questions. And so there's a, a young man that comes to Jesus in Matthew 22 with that point in mind. And we come to verse 40, 34, and uh, we've got the commandment, or the question is simply is, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of all of them? What is the greatest one? And, and so in this question, we get Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and, and so 
let's read this together. Uh, Matthew 22, and let's, let's just start with verse 34, and we'll read through verse 40. So let's, let's stand as we read this together. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You may be seated. Jesus has managed to summarize not only the Ten Commandments, all the law and the prophets. He's given us the the Cliff Notes version, if you will, the Jesus Note version of the Old Testament. If you want to sum it up, he says it's about loving God with all that you are and loving other people as as you would yourself, loving your neighbor. And so I've taught on this, this passage before. And what I would like to do in way of explaining this passage actually take you to another passage, uh, which I believe gives good explanation. Because one of the things we've learned as we've gone through the Ten Commandments, often we've looked at how we break the commandment, uh, not only by our actions, but by our heart. But then we also look at how Jesus fulfills the commandment. Remember Matthew five seventeen, Jesus said, I've come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Okay, And so we've looked at how Jesus fulfills the law, the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that I've learned as I've studied this uh, with you guys is that, you know, it's fascinating. Not only did Jesus fulfill the law, he also made a way so that we can fulfill the law. And that has just been amazing to me to look at and see how Jesus has done that. And so I want to look at that same angle. How does Jesus fulfill the law? But not only that, how does he make it so that we can fulfill the law? How does he work so that we can now love God with all that we are and how we can now love our neighbors? All right. And so to do that, I'm going to take you and and look directly at John chapter 15. All right. John chapter 15 and verse 9 and 10, uh, really reading through verse 17. This is a a passage that Jesus brings to the disciples uh, in the last night before the before the cross. This is the, the Last Supper. Uh, perhaps maybe he's sharing this during that time or even on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he has that encounter before God in prayer where he has total contentment under, him, under the, uh, the authority of the Father even if it means that he goes to the cross and becomes your sin. He is content before the Father to say, your will be done. All right, And so he is teaching disciples on the way uh, to this moment in his life. And he's preparing them for what life is going to be like without him there in person. And this is an important lesson in discipleship. This is the, the passage of the vine and the branches. And so John chapter 15, uh, verse 9. I, I want to just give you some lessons about what it means to love God, to love others. Lessons in discipleship. Lessons in fulfilling the law. All right. How do we do the Ten Commandments? John chapter 15, verse 9. And I just want to give you this first lesson. He's talking about abiding in Him. What does it mean to abide in Him? Well, first of all, abiding in Him is to abide in divine 
love, all right? To abide in divine love. Notice John 15, verse 9, the first phrase, as the Father has loved me, all right? He's, he's putting out the standard, and he says, so have I loved you. But I want you to focus, how has the Father loved the Son? We're talking about a divine love between God the Father and God the Son. What would that be like? Well, what, what has Jesus said about the Father's love for him? In John chapter 3, verse 35, the, he says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The love of the Father to the Son is such that he withholds nothing. He withholds nothing from his son. There is a complete trust that everything that belongs to the father, which is everything, is now placed into the hands of Jesus and is expressed in John 3, 35. In John 17, verse 23, Jesus is talking about I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus is praying, God, will you let them know how much you love me? Let them experience what that is like for you to love me. In John 10, 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. There is this mutual love that says, you know, I will gladly lay down all that I have here on this earth because of the love of the Father for me and my love for him. This divine love that takes place. John 14, 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go up from here. Much of what Jesus was doing on this earth was to demonstrate to us how much they love each other between the Father and Son. Now, this is an internal love, all right? This is uh, from before there was time, before God said, let there be light. There was within the Godhead, the Father and the Son. God is a relational being. He loves to uh, relate. We're made in that same way. That's why we love to relate. We love to have someone in our life. And so God, being that way, is in uh, uh, three persons between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And there is this love that has always been. Now, I, I love talking with some of our folks who have been married for a long time. We, we've got two couples, two couples in our body that have been married 68 years. 68, two couples. I just, I mean, one couple blows my mind. And then you have two couples, 60, I mean, for those of you who've been married 40 years, you got 28 more years to go. I mean, that just blows my mind, all right? Uh, but here you, you've got that here and in earth. But love for eternity. Love for eternity, perfect in its nature. We have no clue what that's like in a, in a human relationship. I mean, we look at that and we, we wonder... We wonder if folks have been married 68 years. And how do you do that? You know, uh, how does that happen? And, and we start asking ourselves and we start wondering, do you ever find one another dull? I mean, do you ever get to the point where you just know everything about that? Per I mean, what else can you learn about that person? And, and you start asking questions like this. Do you understand that the love of the father and son for eternity, for eternity Neither one have ever found each other dull. 
There has always been this amazing of one another, a love that's shared between one another. Uh, It's been said there's never been a grain of dust to separate the two for eternity. The Father has loved me. All right? Our greatest dreams of love relationships just point to what God provides for us. They're just shadows. The greatest love stories, the greatest romance, the ones that try to make you cry or make you feel so good, they're just touches, shadows, that point to the love relationship meant between the Father and the Son and that He shares with us. Because notice what He says. As the Father has loved me, notice the next phrase, so have I loved you. This is not a dream. This is not a fantasy. This is not what our movies are just hoping that we'd have. This is reality of what the love and the Father have to one another. Now they share with us. We abide in divine love. It's reality. The thrill of any person's love is just a foretaste of knowing God's love. Jesus has become the bridge between those of us who are condemned and the God who judges. He is that bridge. He is, Jesus is the beloved of God and is loving like God. And he says, I share this love with you. The love which falls from his pierced and bleeding side is the love of God. And so he says, you notice what John fifteen nine says? Abide in my love. <laughs> what a delightful duty. He, this is a command. Abide in this. Make yourself at home in the divine love. This is a love that is too strong to be endangered by sin. You think about Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. That's a beautiful passage. Romans 8, 31 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How Will he not also with them graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, our sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, the love of God is too strong to be endangered by my sin. I'm to make myself at home with this love. What does that mean? We hear that phrase, right? Make yourself at home. We don't know if they really mean that. Because we wonder, have you ever seen me at home? You really want that? You know, I was visiting a family where I was doing some filling in for a pastor preaching at the church. And the family invited me back to eat with them. Uh, from the congregation, and they had the gift of hospitality. This, this family, and, and the gift of hospitality is not that you have a nice house. All right, it's not that everything is clean. 
the gift of hospitality is that there's something about that person, that the characteristics of them, that just make you feel at home, that make you feel at ease. It doesn't have to be at their house. They just have that ability. And this family had that. And so when they said, just make yourself at home, I, I have felt that in my heart. I was like, all right. They meant that. And uh, for those of you who know me, I have a lifestyle of, of Sunday after lunch. I'm sleeping. I, I, that's, you know, I, that's my desire. You know, if I'm not sleeping, it's because I'm fighting it. All right? So when they said that, they said, "What? do you mind if I just find a couch and take a nap? I said, sure. Make yourself at home. No, you're not supposed to do that normally, you know. They, they got you there. They want to talk to you. But I just, they made me feel at home. So I went and laid down and knocked out for 20 minutes. I felt so good. They made, my, they made me feel at home. We usually don't do that, all right, because we think they'll think less of us if we make ourselves at home. But notice he says abide, dwell in, make yourself at home in the love of God. You see, this is not about making a good impression on God. He knows us too well. And he says, abide in my love. Have you ever been horrified with your own actions? Good night. I can't believe I just said what I said. I can't believe I did what I did. Have you been horrified with your own bad decisions? With your own desires? When you just realize, good grief. I, 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 I can't believe I thought that. Have you ever been horrified with that? Has your own simple thoughts and actions surprised you? They didn't surprise God. They didn't surprise Him. He's never been surprised by your sin. Yet He loves you through Christ. I remember as, a, as an older teenager, um, I started, I, I became convicted of, about how I was treating my parents. Um, this is, I was in college, so I'm an older teenager. I'm, I'm out of home. And I'm coming back, and uh, I was had a sour attitude that morning with my parents, um, and it, it, it struck me because I don't normally treat my buddies that way, my roommates, but I did normally treat my parents this way, and it, it never occurred to me to think of them as as people. All right, just a little a little news breakout for us parents out there. They don't think of us as people. All right. They don't think of us as people that can hurt, have feelings, and, and things like that. That's not what we do. But I started thinking of my parents that way. And I, I thought, you know, I, I really need to ask them to forgive me. Now, this didn't happen until I was in college, all right? Just so you know. Don't expect your kids to do this. If they do, praise God. But only time my kids will do that is, you know, if I tell them. To do it, and that's the, how my life had been. I, I didn't do that unless someone told me to do so, and and now God was telling me to do so. And I, and I came up to them and I, and I just said, "I need to ask y'all to forgive me. I I just acted with a sour attitude. I was not grateful to you, and just you know went on and, and shared with them. And um, I I never really thought about what the reaction would be, but how they reacted shocked me. I said, "Well, we appreciate that." But we had already forgiven you. I was like, what? I didn't know you could do that. You know, 
I just didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> they, they had forgiven before I ever asked. They were not surprised by my sour attitude. I had been giving it to them for 19 years, you know. Um, they were aware of these things. God the Father is not horrified. Or, or He's not surprised. He hates your sin. He hates our sin. But he knows that about you. Before he ever said or declared, I love you. That is what we do. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is not sharing his love with us because of our worthiness, but because of his nature to love. Therefore, it does not matter how unworthy you deem yourself. It's irrelevant. Totally irrelevant how unworthy you or others deem yourself. Because the love of God is not based on that. It's based on who he is. We cannot do anything to make God love us more than he already does. Nor can we do anything to make him love us less. We do not do good deeds to get God to love us. His love is not for sale. So, daily... Apply these words to your life. Feed on that truth. Let this be the air you breathe. When you wake up, you know that at the end of the day, God's going to still love you to a degree where he sends his son to die for you to know that you do not have to achieve his love. It's given to you. Let that be where your contentment is found. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let this be the air you breathe. Abide in this. Now listen. What does that mean about loving God? It's not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. How can I take the first commandment, the greatest commandment to love God with all of my being, it is to understand that I'm not going to say anything or do anything that's greater than what Jesus has already done. He loves me and all of my being already. When I feed on that, when I nourish on that, it is a natural response by the Spirit of God to love Him back with all that you are. Jesus didn't just tell us, love God. He made a way for us to love God. We knew that already. But though we knew it, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We had the freedom to do it. But who's going to give us the freedom to want what we ought to want? Jesus does. He set us free to love God. But abiding in love, notice verse 10, John 15, 10. Abiding love, the second lesson in in this way of fulfilling the commandments and discipleship, abiding in divine love is to obediently display God's love. If I'm going to abide in his love, if I'm going to be nourished by that and let that satisfy my heart, it's going to come uh, come out in some way. And scripture says, Jesus says it comes out through obediently displaying God's love. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. The Ten Commandments, if you keep those commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, what's interesting, if you compare this with chapter 14, verse 15. 
Same talk. All right? I know it's a different chapter. Same talk that Jesus has given there. John 14, 15. You notice it says almost the same thing, except the order's reversed. The order's reversed. What does that mean? It's interchangeable. The love of God equals obedience. The obedience equals love of God. It's interchangeable. It doesn't matter what order you put them in. It equates to the same. And so the love of God that he's talking about is not an emotional, just, I'm going to send a love letter to God. All right? And that's good. That's a wonderful thing. But that's not how it's displayed. It's displayed through our obedience to the commands. Now, John 15, 1 through 8, teaches that abiding in Christ was the condition of bearing fruit. Verse 10 states that bearing fruit or keeping the commandments is a condition of abiding in Christ. When we're nourished as a branch into the vine... Obedience is going to come. There's going to be fruit that flows from our life. Now, notice the standard here. Verse 10. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Wow. The standard of our obedience is Jesus Christ. All right? This this takes it up a notch or two here, doesn't it? It's just not saying, do the best you can. All right? No. As Jesus obeyed, obey. Now, that's a problem for most of us. This is not an exhortation to just do as Jesus did. We're not capable of the obedience of Jesus. But the Spirit of Jesus is. And as a branch abiding in the vine, the Spirit of Jesus is flowing through our life as we're nourished by the love of Christ. It gives us strength through the Spirit of God to do what Jesus did. It's not us mimicking Jesus, but the Spirit of Jesus working in us. So it's not just copycat, but it's dependence on Christ working in us. The spiritual air we breathe will be evident. The love that wept over us while we were enemies, that same love will sing and rejoice over us when we are friends. The love of Christ that brought us and wooed us and... and, and uh, changed our heart, softened our heart, is continuing to work. See, I'm not just saved, past tense. Christ is still saving me in my life, changing my desires through the Spirit of Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love that verse. It's just let me know this is a work of the Spirit of Christ. I'm just letting Him work in my life as I Seek Him, depend on Him, go to the Word, go to the truth of the Gospel, and let it change my life. Now, um, I've, I've got a, I, I have a, I like garlic. I've, I've just one of those, one of those things I like, you know. Yeah, some of you are shaking your heads. <laughs> What's wrong with the pastor? Yeah, it's just one of the, one of the tastes I enjoy. Unfortunately, my wife doesn't enjoy me enjoying it. Um, she knows. Uh, it doesn't matter. I, you know, I eat some garlic bread or whatever. She, I can brush my teeth. I can. I could be chugging down Listerine, you know, drinking it, and and she'll still know it. She she knows because it, it you know it comes out through your body and all that kind of stuff. You know, it it exudes from you. All right, garlic is too potent to cover up. I'm just going to share the love of Christ. It's too potent to cover up. You're fooling yourself if you think I'm going to be nourished by the love of God and no one's going to know that. That is going to come out in our life. Let me just share some, some thoughts with you. 
This is some thoughts by John MacArthur. The person who truly loves the Lord with all his heart is the person who trusts and obeys him. The person demonstrates his love by meditating on God's glory. Psalm 18, verse 1 to 3. They trust in God's divine power. Psalm 31, verse 23. They seek fellowship with God. Psalm 63, 1 through 8. They love God's law. Psalm 119, verse 17. The whole chapter, really. They love whom God loves. 1 John 5, 1. They hate what God hates. Psalm 97, verse 10. They grieve over sin. Matthew 26, 75. They reject the world. 1 John 2, 15. They long to be with Christ. 2 Timothy 4, 8. They obey God wholeheartedly. John 14, 21. See, Christ died for man's hatred of God. Christ died for man's hatred of God. Did he die so that we would continue to hate him? God forbid. Christ died so that we would be saved, not just from the punishment from sin, but be saved from sin. The effects of it in our life to give us a new heart. He's saved us to deliver us out of this world. Now, let me share on John 15 verse 12 let me give you another lesson here what does it mean to love God to to do the commandments to be discipled what does it mean to abide in Christ well I've shared with you already that to uh, abide in Christ is to abide in divine love to abide in divine love is to obediently display God's love now what does it mean to obediently display God's love it is to demonstrate love for one another. How does it come out? It comes out in loving other people. All right? And this is where Jesus says the greatest thing is to love God with all of your being, all that who you are. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. He you know, he he was only asked for one. But Jesus could answer with the one. He had to answer with two because they come together. You can't separate one from the other. So Demonstrating love for one another. Notice John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Notice again, the standard for love is Jesus Christ. All right. How did he love the person you're dealing with? It's the same way you're to love him. And so it's the summary of his commands. You find this all throughout this passage, John 15, John 13, 34, 35. Again, same talk. I know different chapter, but the same talk Jesus has given to disciples. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. This is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. It's, it's going to be your branding that you love one another. John 15, 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All right. And, and so this is the message. And, and then we go in Luke chapter 10. And we find in verse 25 to 37, he starts defining for us who our neighbor is. Because our thought is, okay, God, I'll I'll do that. I'll love others, but let me define who my neighbor is. Wouldn't it be so much easier that way? (laughs) Had your your list of friends. This is my neighbor list. I don't know who these other folks are, you know. They're in my circle of love. You don't want to get kicked out of that, you know. And so Jesus said, no, that's not how that works. It, it just happens to be whoever's around you. It doesn't matter what, whether they're like you or not. All right? And so that's the story of the Good Samaritan. And the, and the Good Samaritan going on and, 
and uh, who was the hated person of the Jews, but that's the very one who came and risked and, and loved uh, a Jew with sacrifice, with cost, with money, uh, loved this one. We have uh, one of the families in our church, the joiners here, I think they're here somewhere. Uh, I heard a little story of, of, their, of Garrett when he was a young little guy. Uh, they were at a, a restaurant, I think Bojangles perhaps maybe, and uh, uh, one of the ladies there had left some uh, wallet, uh, left the money, and um, Garrett saw it, picked it up, ran out, and uh, got it to the family, and, and uh, or the lady, and she was just, you know, amazed that someone gave back her money, and uh, was over, you know, going over, talking about that, and Garrett just replied, man, we're Christians, that's just what we do. You know, and I thought, that's, that's right. That's what Jesus is saying. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. We're abiding in Christ. Loving others is just what we do. And, you know, we'll hear stories and we'll, we'll applaud somebody when there's a great sacrifice of love. And Jesus is saying, that's norm. That's the norm. To love others like this. John 6, verse 33, Jesus saying, is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that are spoken to you are spirit of life. When Jesus says, by his word, love one another, by these words, I tell you this, there is life. And the fact that Jesus has commanded this of me, Jesus is not asking of me something that is totally impossible. He's asking of me something that his spirit can do in me. Someone you say, how can I love someone that they don't like me and I don't like them? It's done by the dependence on the Spirit of God in your life. You don't have to like them. Just act like you do. All right? You don't have to like them. Just act like you do. But all the while, pray for God's love to be born in your heart and you'll be amazed of what that obedience Prayer, trust in his word, how it will change your heart daily, daily, every day as you do this. Now, here's the thing that I, I just want to bring to your attention. We think about the neighbor, we think about the person we don't like. A lot of times in this talk and in this instruction of scripture, we don't apply it to the people who are closest to us. We don't apply it to our spouse. We don't apply it to our kids, to our parents. Because you have that same blind spot that I did, because they're not real people. That's my spouse. That's my parent. That's my kid, child. No, they are real people, and they are exactly some of the people that Jesus is having in mind when you say love one another. This is what we do. Our motivation and strength to love another is God. This will free us up. It will free us up to love unlovely people. And the fact of the matter is, if you're around someone long enough, they become unlovely. They may enchanted you to begin with, with some facade of holiness, i.e. dating, okay? But after a while, given enough time, you're going to realize, that wasn't very lovely. That was rude that that was selfish that and and after a while these start adding up 
And you start changing your perspective of them because of all this accumulated evidence of unloveliness. Scripture is saying how we treat one another is motivated by who God is and what he's done, not who they are. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't hate them. Don't murder them. <laughs> don't. This is where the Ten Commandments come in, but it flows from the love of God in our life. It frees the disciple to be generous to someone who cannot repay. This will enable a disciple to be kind to someone who is rude. This will empower a disciple to sacrifice for someone who is greedy. Apply this across the board. Augustine said, What does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and won't. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. This is what love looks like. You see, loving others is the only visible evidence we have that we love God with all of ourselves. It is the only visible evidence that we have that we love God with all of ourselves. You can go to church all your life. You can give. You can sing in the choir. You can get baptized. You can read the Bible. You can memorize. You can have everything checked off. Bam. I'm a godly person. But if you don't love someone else, then the evidence is lacking of love for God. It is the only thing that we've got to show that we love God. Loving others reveals a transformation that's Christ-like. That's, there's a change taking place. It, it, it lets us know, man, how, how am I different how am I different from 15 years ago or 10 or 2 or 1 year ago? How am I different? It's going to be bared in the fact that you can love someone now. And that is a Christ-like change. I can do everything else and still have pride reigning in my life. Can I? Y'all know some prideful religious folks? <laughs> Jesus was dealing with that. All right? But loving someone else removes the pride. It's, it's not... Again, this emotional aspect, it is to simply say, I will put the needs of that person before my own. It's a commitment, it is a verb, it's something you do. I put the needs of that person in front of my own. When that happens, then you're starting to see God changing you. The thing is, as, as, you, as you get worse, and I say worse, as you get less loving... Sometimes we think, you know, I'm, I'm just going to try to maintain my status quo. I'm just going to, I'm going to just keep my levels of love right here. Did you know you can't do that? You can't keep your levels of love right here and say, this is a good, balanced way right here. I can spend the rest of my life, and, and with this level of love, then I've got the respect of the religious community, but it doesn't hurt so much. You can't do that. Love, our selfishness, is progressive in nature. You can't just say, I'm going to keep my cancer right here. It's going to go one way or the other. You can't keep your selfishness right here. It's going to either twist you with every selfish decision. You get more and more twisted. And the thing is, you get to the point where you don't even recognize. You don't even recognize it. Our you can get fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love that's there, be motivated by that, changed by that, and start loving and putting yourself less and others first, and it becomes progressive. 
And the problem for most of us, it gets to the point where we say, you know, I'm okay with that until, bam, this cost me this much. And we live the rest of our days half-hearted in our love, thinking I'm just going to stay there. But all the while, actually, you're morphing into selfishness. It's the, the person who's sober that can really pick out the drunk person. The person who's halfway drunk think they are sober. <laughs> they don't even see it because they're drunk. The person who's selfish thinks they're loving because they don't even see it themselves. But it's amazing as God loves changes you, you start seeing your selfishness. The person who knows the math problem can see when the math problem is wrong. The person who knows the love of Christ, who knows what's been touched unconditionally by love and grace, knows what it's like to put conditions and can see conditions on love. The gospel comes in and changes us so we see things differently. Loving others reveals the transformation of Christ's likeness. Loving others also is just simply good for us. It is good for us. In this room, what are some of the things that will last for eternity? I mean, life is fleeting. Generations come and go. Many of us in this room don't know or remember the people who sat here 40 years ago. Guess what's going to happen 40 years from now if the world Lord tarries? <laughs> Sobering. What, what's going to last for eternity? Anything here? This isn't. Clothes are not. The building's not. When said and done, we've got the word of God that flows from God. His word will still be true. And you have the person sitting next to you. The eternal soul, the soul that God's given that person that's going to live for eternity. And when God says... I want you to love other people. He's teaching us to invest in what really matters. Keep it in perspective. And he says, if you will learn to love someone else, you will realize that for eternity there is something that was worth living for. When all the clothes and the jobs and the work and the money and the cars and everything's gone, Christmas things that you bought for someone else are long gone but when you put the need of someone else in front of them out of what love of Christ has done in your life then you've got something that matters for a while for eternity so when he says love others he's telling us to do something that's really good for us I've got a we've got a little guy uh, one year old he's figured out how to take his pajamas off you know and he's got the, we put the zip-up ones, you know, the one outfit deal, you know, thinking that'll solve it. No. I get out of there and he's crying because he's cold. I'm like, son, we put these pajamas on you for a reason. It's good for you. Wear them. You know? When Jesus says, love other people, we're like, no, I don't want to. God is saying, can you just understand that life is going to go on long past these things that you want are gone? This matters for eternity. Don't be cold for eternity. Love God. Love others. Loving others accomplishes God's heart for you. 
Jesus said, what's the greatest? What's the, what's the greatest thing you could ever do? What's the top thing that if you go and you spend your day and you go to bed, Jesus said, make sure you don't do, don't miss out on this. Go to, you know, miss out on work, miss out on eating, miss out on sleeping, but don't miss out on this. Love God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. It accomplishes God's heart for you. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, if you're honest with yourself, your heart got stabbed a few times as you read that. Mine did. Oh, I failed there. I failed there. I failed there. <laughs> but then I think, well, God says he loves me. He's patient with me. He's kind. He's not easily provoked. There's mercy there. He's hoping for the best. He's not rejoicing in the wrong. <laughs> the love of God endures. Endures even my sin. And I say, God, thank you once again. You have brought me and melted me with your grace, with your love. God, by your spirit, let the word of God, let the gospel soften this hard, selfish heart of mine. Let me love someone today. And that's part of what Christmas is about, isn't it? What God has accomplished through his son Jesus. All that to say, you can do all the right things this Christmas, but if you don't love God in Christmas, you don't love someone else in Christmas, you wasted it. You wasted it. I just want to challenge you. Why would you not want the love of Jesus? Why would you not want the forgiveness? Why would you not want to be surrendered with all of your heart to this type of Savior? What, what, what is it rising up in your life that says, No, I don't want to submit to that because of what on earth would you fill that blank in? What would you fill it with? How does it compare to Jesus Christ? I just challenge you this morning. Surrender it. Don't let that, which keeps you from following Jesus, leave you out in the cold for eternity. Know the love of Jesus. It takes a surrendered heart. Say, God... You have not been my God in my life. I have taken your name in vain. I've had other gods. I've created you in my own image. And I have not been obedient to the authorities in my life. I have not precious, been precious with life. I have not given you my time. And I have lied to myself and lied to others on a continuing basis. I steal from you. I steal from others. I've got hate in my heart. And there's murder there. And I covet 
All that you could be coveting of is satisfied if you'll surrender to Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Let's pray.